Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. We all wish we could understand our cats' voices. And thanks to Petivity, we've come one step closer. The Petivity Smart Litter Box Monitor tracks your cat's litter box behavior and weight and alerts you when changes could require a vet visit. Your cats may not be able to tell you everything, but Petivity helps you understand them like never before. Try Petivity risk-free for 90 days at P-E-T-I-V-I-T-Y.com. Petivity, proactive care for lifelong health. I beg your pardon. Who said that? I haven't seen you since you solved the Kennel murder case. How are you? Well, for the love of... Nick Charles, what are you doing up there? Impersonating a book cover? Shh. I'm working on a case. Don't tell me you've gone back to detective work. I thought you had turned respectable. Didn't you get married? Oh, didn't I? Vance, I married a girl in a million. I heard it was a girl uh, with a million. Well, same thing. I've become a California gentleman. I never heard of such a thing. What are you doing here in New York? Well, it seems that Clark Gable is making some personal appearances here, which uh, interests my wife. And there's a very good bar at the Ritz, which is all right with me. So we popped into town to play. But would you believe it? Before you could say Metro Golden Mayor, I stepped right into the middle of a baffling murder mystery, and they put me to work. Well, you poor fellow, you have my deepest sympathy. I can use it. Believe me, Vance, this case is a toughie. It all revolves about a tall, thin man. I was standing at the bar of the Ritz one day, uh, reaching for an olive, when a very pretty girl suddenly popped up in front of me and said, uh, Hello there. Hello. Uh, another glass. How are you? You know, we do know each other. Certainly, we've known each other for years. Aren't you Nick Charles? Yes. You don't remember me. I'm Dorothy Wynant. How is your father? Oh, that's what I came to ask you. He's disappeared. Chris, what are you going to do? That's what I said I'd do. Chris, you wouldn't do that. Ah! Nicky, automatically Nicky, put uh, Asta in here with me tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah? Nice missing. I'll look for it in your back. It's about Julia Wolf. Did you kill her? Gilbert! Well, why not? You had a perfectly good motive. How'd you like to have a couple of little murderers for your children? And maybe I haven't been on a merry-go-round since that day. Are you, uh, anywhere near a solution? Between you and me, I think so. I got all the suspects together at a dinner party. And then I pulled a fast one. I told them, and the murderer is right here in this room tonight. He's sitting here at this table. Are you uh, sure that the murderer is one of that group? Not absolutely. But I know where to find out. Where? Right in there. Now, you watch me. I'm going to dissolve slowly into this book. If you'll stand by, I'll give you the answer. G'day, everybody, and welcome to Awards Don't Matter. My name's Andrew, and uh, this is the podcast that asks all about whether the Best Picture winners uh, still matter or not. I'm joined by my co-host, Dave, all the way in America. Uh, welcome, Dave. 
Thank you. It's always interesting when we record because I never know when the Aussie is going to jump out, when the good day. Because sometimes it's like, hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Like, very calm. And then when you get a little, you're a little spicy. It's always, good day, everybody. So, <laughs> I love it. I love it. You never know what's going to happen. No, but I mean, I'm very excited to talk about a movie that didn't win any awards on awards don't matter so we could really shit on the oscars be like yeah awards don't matter look at this movie that didn't win yeah, look at great. the impact that it has in society as a whole today uh so what are we talking about what's the film that we're we're running through uh so we are talking about a movie from 1934 um starring william powell and myrna loy called the thin man uh that not only has one movie but also a whole bunch of sequels um and I will tell you, um, I've watched all of them. Um, couldn't tell you what happens in all of them because uh, it's just it's they all kind of blend together. They're very similar, but they figured I think they figured out their recipe and we're just like, we're just going to keep on trucking until people stop paying us to do it. And, you know, it's uh, I think the the one word that I can think of to describe this movie, The Thin Man, Andrew, it's fun. Oh, it's, it's fun. fun. It's absolutely it's fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director for W.S. Van Dyke. Also, William Powell was nominated for Best Actor. And it was written, uh, nominated for Best Adaptation as well. Um, no love for Myrna Loy? Come on! No, no, unfortunately not. Uh, which is a real shame because there were three nominees for Best Actor and four nominees for Best Actress. So, um, you know, uh, Claudia Colbert I don't Colbert understand was... these numbers. I don't understand, like, I don't why some it. years it's like, okay, we got 12 movies, next year we got five movies. Uh, last year we had six actresses, now we got two. Like, <laughs> make up your so, mind. <laughs> well, the, one of the reasons was was that uh, this is uh, in, in the year of 1935, the 7th Academy Awards, uh, which was the first year that ran... Uh, for the previous year. So in previous Academy Awards, it was kind of crossing over two years, whereas this was oh, the that's first right. one that just ran for the first, for the last year. Uh, and uh, it was one of only two years where writing candidates were allowed as the Academy, this is pulling straight from Wikipedia, but as the Academy uh, responded to the controversy surrounding the snub of Betty Davis's performance in Off Human Bondage in the previous year, and hence why she was nominated for Best Actress here, why there's four uh, actresses nominated and three actors nominated. Um, and so Betty Davis was a write-in nomination where people were pissed off. Uh, and maybe, uh, as we lamented in the last episode uh, about how some of the um, more whimsical and joyful romantic comedy films and lighter films not getting nominated for Best Picture, maybe the Academy, with all their, their changes and their, their tweaking and stuff like that, should uh, implement the uh, whole writing feature again. Yeah, um, maybe Amy Adams and Glenn Close should finally win an Oscar for something. <laughs> yeah, the rural juror, congratulations. <laughs> oh boy, that movie looks real bad. <laughs> so mess. What's it called? Oh yeah, Hillbilly Elegy. Oh boy. Yeah, that's yeah. gonna, and you know that that's going to get nominations just watch i i almost want them one of them to win just so as i talked about in the last last episode these fucking nerds who talk about oscars 24 hours a day that probably includes andrew sorry but uh they always get mad that these two women don't win but they're all mad about this trailer because i mean granted it looks terrible so i hope it wins because i just want to see the world burn like i just like like oh god amy adams won for this and didn't win for arrival or whatever other movie you want to stick in there that she should have won for and let's get this straight amy adams should have like four oscars by now she's incredible but uh i hope it's for hillbilly elegy please fingers crossed 
<laughs> well, just like uh, Amy Adams, The Thin Man should have had a few Oscars as well because it is a delightful film. Uh, it is a wonderful, joyful film. Um, it is a, a comedy mystery, I guess, in, in the way. Yeah. Uh, yep, yep. Um, and now I'm not really, this is not my genre wheelhouse, unfortunately, but uh, this certainly feels like uh, a response to more serious mysteries of that particular era. Uh, and the the kind of intertwining mysteries and plots that, that overlap with one another, and you do kind of have to pay attention, but The Thin Man makes it feel like, it doesn't matter if you pay attention or not because the main characters are Nick and Nora Charles. Nick is played by William Powell. Nora is played by Myrna Loy. And they are, well, Nick's a retired detective and his wife, Nora, is, uh, well, his wife. And they drink a lot. They flirt Yeah, they a do. Lot. <laughs> they have such a good time. Yeah. Like, they have a wonderful great. time. <laughs> like, if you watch it, if you watch it with 2020 eyes, there are certainly moments where you're like, these two have a problem. Yeah, like, they have a real problem. <laughs> what? But it's to the point like, where he's picking up glasses on the table and just drinking them. You're like, I mean, Jesus Christ. Sounds like a good life. I mean, that's pretty great. How many drinks have you had? This will make six martinis. All right. Will you bring me five more martinis? Leo, line them right up here. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I you know, and you mentioned like it should have won some awards, and I can certainly get behind that, but I think it just came out the wrong year. Like it just it just ran into a buzzsaw. Like, I'm sure there were great movies. Uh, the Year Sounds to the Lambs came out. Nothing going to be the same thing because it came out the same year as it happened one night. Like, I can't think of an award that I, you know, and I love this movie. I've seen it two or three times now. But I can't think of a single category that I'd be like, oh, yeah, we should give it to this over It Happened One Night. Like, It Happened One Night is a better movie. That doesn't mean this isn't a, just a complete joy. Like, this is one of those movies, frankly... I could just put on in the background at any time because, like, yes, it's complicated. A lot of stuff happens. But, like, as you mentioned, it doesn't really matter. It all kind of gets explained away in the end. And you're really just along for the charm and the enjoyment of Nick and Nora. Like, that's that's why you're here. You know, you're not here to, like, if, honestly, let me tell you something, people. If you watch this movie and you're trying to, like, pick apart the plot, you have gone down the wrong path. It doesn't matter if it holds together because it probably doesn't just enjoy your time with it. Just, you know, like, because I think a lot of us who watch a lot of movies, I think sometimes we make that error is we look really closely and really critically. And there's a place for that. But some movies are just there to entertain you and you're there to have a good time. And like, you know, good on the Oscars for nominating two movies like this in the same year. Like we talked about, like it happened one night would never be nominated now and they had two movies in this group of 11. That's a, that's, you know what, like 18%. That's a pretty good percentage and, and of the major awards too. best director yeah. and best actor and best script. I mean, it's just, this is a, a really effortless film and, and it's almost pointless in going through the plot because it is inconsequential, which sounds like a, 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 a slam on the actual film itself, but it is inconsequential. Like it is, you know, a mystery is occurring and, Nick is basically involved in trying to solve this mystery in as best a way as possible. And the thing which I absolutely love about this film is that, you know, people have died and bad things have happened, but the way that Nick and Nora treat it like a game and it's like mm -hmm. just a lark is one of the most enjoyable things ever. It is absolutely delightful where they're like, 
this is just, you know, this gives us something to do. This is a delight in being able to, uh, you know, find out who killed this person and stuff like that. And um, they're also joined by, it's worthwhile mentioning, their dog, Asta, who yeah, is... Yeah, Asta, uh, the best. <laughs> yeah, a wire-haired fox terrier who has so much personality. And I think that so much of this film does rely on the fact that you take that dog out of it and it would still be a charming film, but it's just nice to have kind of like an, uh, not an audience surrogate in a way, but just a, a reactionary creature there to play against these two just joyful people and how they kind of uh, interact with one another. And the dog's like, oh, bother, and all this kind of thing. And it's just a, it's just a delight. Um, yeah. I, I like this film a lot. I don't love it, but I, I, I do enjoy it. And I can see why people really lap this film up and why there is so many of them as well, because it really just kind of, uh, you know, just has carried on in such a really fascinating, enjoyable way. Um, so, yeah, what's it like for you? As you're saying you've, you've watched this a few times. Um, what's it like spending time with these characters for you? You know, it's interesting. I just looked it up. It's spurred. It's spawned five sequels. There are six movies in the series. There's so many. Um, but it's just like you know, sometimes, sometimes you want to put on a movie where you're just charmed. You know, and we talked about that a little bit with it happened one night. But I think it's interesting because I think the plot mechanics of the Thin Man are much more complicated than that of it happened one night. But I think the plot is way more important in it happened one night. Like, you need to spur that. And all you really need to know here is there's a mystery, and these two are off to solve it. This, like, retired detective and his wife who are kind of living a grand life and just having a good time. And he has, like, at the beginning, has, like, no interest in really, like, doing this. He doesn't want to get back in the game. And you get the feeling that he gets back involved because it's because it's interesting, you know? And he just wants to kind of engage with it. And... I also like the way that this movie treats danger as if it's nothing. Like, he gets shot <laughs> yeah. in, like, one of the first sequences in the movie, like, when things first start to happen. And it's just, it's very old Hollywood where he's just like, yeah, it's fine. Anyway, let's go on with my day. Like, just, yeah. somebody just shot at you, dude. And he's just like, no, we're having a good time. Where's my, where's my drink? You know? And it's just like, it feels like, it just feels really old Hollywood. And, and again, it's a... It's a pleasant experience because of the way the plot kind of wraps itself up. And you're like, okay, I can see this being interesting. And then it slowly gets more dangerous as the film goes on. So a lot of movies they do – like I, I'd always heard that this was like the the law that Wes Craven lived by in his horror films, right? Where you have an inciting event in the very beginning, and if that is crazy enough and violent enough, you can get away with like 20 or 30 minutes of exposition after that. Because people are like, oh, my God, and, and then they're ready for the next thing, right? Um, this is kind of the opposite. Like, it's the slow build, right? It's like, oh, well, we're introduced to these characters. Okay, this guy's missing. Okay, this this girl, you know, knew Nick and Nora, or Nick at least, when she was really young. You know, and I also like how when she's first introduced, his wife is like, she's a pretty girl. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, I guess. You know, he is. And that is so charming, too, that he is, no matter what is put in his way, whether it's a beautiful woman or danger or a gun, he loves his wife so much. But not in a way where it's overdramatic, but just in this way of, like, you know, from the be from the beginning all the way to the end, like, they are meant to be together. 
Oh, oh uh, uh, my wife. This is Dorothy Wynant. How do you do? I'm sorry we have to rush. See, we're stopping in the Normandy for a couple of weeks. Drop around. See us. Well, we'd love to. Thank you. Goodbye. 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 Sit so, sugar. Oh, Leo. Yes. Uh, burps, burps yes, sir. Two cocktails. Pretty girl. Yes, she's a very nice type. You got types? Only you, darling. Lanky brunettes with wicked jaws. Leo, compliments to see you. Who is she? Oh, darling, I was hoping I wouldn't have to answer that. Come on. Well, Dorothy is really my daughter. You see, it was spring in Venice. When I was so young, I didn't know what I was doing. We're all like that on my father's side. By the way, how is your father's side? Oh, it's much better, thanks. And yours? Both as partners in, you know, in detecting and as partners in life. And that is really charming. You don't really see that anymore. In a lesser movie, you know, someone would get in between them and he'd have to, like, prove himself. But, like, no, we just got to solve this mystery. It's okay. Yeah, I knew her when she was 10. Whatever. That's not interesting to me. I'm not. And he'll say, like, yeah, she's beautiful, but, like, who cares? And just go on, where's the next drink, you know? And just move on. Um, So I like that it's this slow build so it doesn't start out as a murder mystery because I think a lot of mysteries make that mistake where it's like, oh, a murder has happened and we have to, you know, we'll have to gather in a room and talk at each other for the next hour. You know, like you have, you know, I love Agatha Christie, but that's the Agatha Christie. That's the way she does it. And Dashiell Hammett, who wrote the books that this is based on, does it a little bit differently. And he's like kind of in love with like kind of that old, like almost gangster um, world that this is all surrounded by. But it never gets too dark. I like that this keeps it light, even when the world around it is full of shadows. It's still like you're still along the journey with Nick and Nora. And I think that's why... That's why all the sequels got made. It's not because, like, oh, the mystery was so interesting and it all interlocked together in these interesting ways. Like, no, nobody cares. Nobody cares. We want to hang out with Nick and Nora. We want to be Nick. We want to be Nora. We want to hang out with the other one. They're great. Like, I just, like, honestly, these movies are really short. They're, like, an hour and 20 minutes each. But, like, they could be two and a half hours. They could be 40 minutes. And every minute of that, you're just like, man, aren't they great? I mean, that's why the names Nick and Nora have become synonymous with romance and fun. You know, like even a movie like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, another movie I love, like there's a reason those names were chosen. People in Hollywood know the name Nick and Nora. And if you watch these movies, you will find out exactly why. Yeah. I mean, there's so many imitations and and things that have have copied the the format of this. And, uh, you know, 1976, uh, Murder by Death with David Niven and Maggie Smith, and they play Nick and Nora, uh, alikes Dick and Dora and stuff like that. Um, One of the things which I found really interesting, and maybe I'm reaching here, but um, I found it quite curious that, like, when we first meet Nick, he is talking, he's educating a whole bunch of bar people in how to, I love this sequence, in how to make a martini. The important thing is the rhythm. Always have rhythm and you're shaking. Now, in Manhattan, you shake to foxtrot. A Bronx, to uh, two-step time. The dry martini, you always shake to waltz time. And he's like, all right, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, and it's got to be perfect. And then he downs it, and he's like, let's do that again. And, <laughs> <laughs> so 
I love and the idea like, of like making the perfect martini and then just shooting it. Like, yeah. it's, not, it's not sipping it, it's not savoring it. Like, you could have just went rubbing alcohol in a glass and you still would have swallowed that in one gulp. But it's like, you know, it's like the way you shake it, the direction you do it, like everything. Like, he goes into detail and then like, okay, let's... Let's let's do that again, as you said. I love that moment because it's so much buildup, and you expect him to like sip it and go like, "Perfect, okay." But instead, he just like downs it. Is like, yeah, "Okay, do it again. That was good." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's but there's a real um, for me at least. There was this real tone of of James Bond in that moment where James Bond is like, he is a man who is defined by his drink. He is a man who is defined by the way that he talks, his suaveness and things like that. And you can see how that particular character is being teased out of somebody like Nick Charles, who, you know, obviously James Bond films aren't mystery films. They're, they're, they're spy films, but spy genre is still a tangential aspect of mystery films. You're still trying to find out where the bad guy is and you're still trying to do all these kinds of things. And, I found that really enjoyable and, and really fascinating to see all of these different aspects of modern films, of, of modern mystery films, of modern romance films, of, um, you know, the influential aspect of such a, a powerful relationship between Nick and, and Nora uh, being still so impactful today in, in so many different ways. And I'm glad that, you know, I would never have watched this film otherwise because I guess, you know, for me as a modern person... Because you're a monster? Um, is that I why? Am a you monster. Don't like ha- you don't like happiness? <laughs> well, yeah, because I guess for my Yeah, for I my don't like happiness. <laughs> no, you're right. I don't. don't we spent like the that. last episode and a half talking about we need more light movies. <laughs> we need more fun. And then you come back with like, I just don't like being happy. Like, I don't wow, like it. There's so much There's a lot to unpack there, my friend. <laughs> it is. This is not the podcast for it, though. Um, <laughs> podcast but, uh, is gone. Yeah. No more pop culture case study that's gone. No. <laughs> but a title like The Thin Man, I guess, I mean, this says more about me than it does anybody else, but I, I imagine there are listeners out there or people who feel the same way. Like a title like The Thin Man feels very adjacent to The Third Man, which obviously mm-hmm. is a film that came out a little bit afterwards. And while that is considered a classic, I, I don't love it as much as everybody else does, but it, it is still cool. a... Jesus, no, no, still... <laughs> why are you just coming out with the hot takes out of nowhere? <laughs> guy like, like fucking Cimarron is like, man, third man, not that good. You no, I mean, the third head? man is great. Don't get me wrong. But it is so much about mood and so much about uh, the, the, the place that it's set. And there is a lot of fun in that film as well. But there is also a lot of darkness and a lot of seriousness. And in a way, the thin man is all about mood too, because it's, it's less about plot as we've said. Um, and I guess for me, uh, you know, again, I wouldn't have watched this if we weren't going to be discussing it for this because it just feels like a, it, it feels almost disposable in a way. And that's why I want to highlight how important this particular film is. And the, you know, it, it had a budget of $226,000. It made $1.4 million in the 1930s, right before world war two and stuff like that. And so it's, its impact is undeniable. It's like talking about, you know, we often talk about superhero films on this film just because it's the biggest thing around at the moment. Um, and I, like, but, I like to tell you when things are terrible. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you know, there, this is essentially something making, you know, end game kind of money on a small budget and a big film, you know, yeah. not the end game. Like five budget, times its budget. Like that's it's massive. crazy. 
It's huge. <laughs> and so it's understandable why there's so many different films. But we forget that these kinds of films have a role in film history and they have a role in entertaining us. This is a timeless film. It's another timeless film like It Happened One Night. It is such a joy to sit there and watch. And I tell you what, Myrna Loy and William Powell are just so charismatic and they just, like, getting a little bit crass for a second, even though they sleep in separate beds, you know as soon as that light turns off, they are fucking... Oh, absolutely. And we talked about this when It Happened One Night too, right? There's a spark between them. And the other thing that really struck me in terms of watching these two movies is like how modern and how rapid fire the dialogue is. Like there's there's never a dull moment in either one of these movies. Like both of them are constantly on their toes and that verbal sparring, the verbal jabbing is like I mean, I never thought I'd say this necessarily about movies from the early 1930s, but these movies are both pretty sexy. Oh, like yeah. they <laughs> work absolutely. Like I think actually <laughs> Modern filmmakers could learn a lot from watching this back and forth. Like, that stuff really still works as I was watching this. And you're right. Like, you do know absolutely without the sh- beyond the shadow of a doubt that these two are into each other, not just in an emotional way, not like, oh, they're just in love. But, like, no, no, they are, they are into one another, and they are, like, ready to go at a moment's notice. And that is kind of refreshing, Especially for a movie from like 1934, 1935, where maybe viewers from the late, you know, 2020s don't really expect that because we have this. And I think sometimes if you haven't watched watched a lot of older films and maybe the older films you watched were after the, the code was instituted, you think of like, oh, well, they couldn't do any of that stuff. But this stuff is before that happened. So they were not like it's like explicit, but they were taking some chances, you know, and I was like. Wow, they're really going for it in both of these movies. So that was kind of a nice surprise in that. <clears throat> One of the things I really love as well is as the film wraps up, he, you know, Nick has set up this uh, this dinner party where all the suspects and all the, the players in the, the narrative uh, are invited to come along. And it's really fascinating because it's like, you know, a lot of people are manhandled to actually come to this particular dinner event. Uh, they are criminals after all, and there are going to be police officers there. Um, but they're dragged along under the, you know, auspices of finding out who has killed uh, the the person who this whole film is actually about. And Nick and Nora sit next to each other, and the back and forth that they have in this moment is absolutely delightful because, I mean, the whole film has been delightful with their back and forth, but it's like... Nora knows that Nick doesn't entirely know how this is going to roll out. He doesn't entirely know who the killer is. And she says to him in a couple of times, you know, hey, excuse me, um, do you know what's going on? He's like, I don't know, but we're just going to see how this plays out because this is fun. I love it. I love it. <laughs> especially because in this genre, especially now, like there's there's the idea of like, oh, well, the... The The detective detective is super smart, and he's already put it together, and now he's going to unfold it for all of us. And it fits with Nick and Nora that they're just like, let's just see how this goes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to wing it. And you're like, okay, drunk, let's see how this goes. (laughs) Uh, But it's so, I mean, it's so well written and so well performed by both of them that you're just like, you have faith that it's going to work out in an entertaining way. And of course it does, because it's Nick and Nora, and it's great. Yeah, yeah. It, there's a real strain of... Uh, I was thinking about Knives Out in a way where mm-hmm. um, that is a really eccentric film in, in so many different ways, 
But, um, you know, I, I really wish that, uh, you know, I know it's hard to kind of bring back these kinds of characters in a way, but Ryan Johnson is the kind of director who could bring uh, Nick, and, Nick and Nora back to life in some ways. Oh, and yeah. With such freshness and and vitality. And that's the kind of thing that I, as you're saying, I feel that modern filmmakers uh, should pull from this film a little bit more. Um it's interesting though as well because as as I was coming to the end of watching this film I was like this is such a wonderfully joyful film but it's also hard to discuss in a lot of ways because it is wonderful and joyful and that's one of the things which I feel might be as we talked about in the last episode where people who talk about Oscars and films and stuff like that um you know, they, they enjoy talking about the serious films. They enjoy talking about the Oscar bait and things like that. And I want to ask you a question about discussing these uplifting and joyful films. Uh, it is so hard sometimes from my perspective, at least, and maybe this says more about me, to have a substantial conversation about why they are great and why they are good. Because so often it's just like, it's fun. They have great chemistry. It's really enjoyable and you'll, you'll laugh and you'll, you know, have a great time. And that feels like it. Why is it so hard to talk about these kinds of films? Well, I think when you compare it to, you know, typical Oscar films, typical Oscar films have moments, you know, where it's like, oh, God, here's the tear jerking moment. Here's where everything goes wrong and here's where everything goes right. And we wrap it up or here's where everyone dies because that's what happens in Oscar movies. So there's like these momentous moments. So they're easy to pick apart and easy to talk about. Um, and you you said it yourself at the beginning of this uh, in comparing comparing it to the great the third man um, that it's about mood and it's about a feeling and feelings are harder to talk about than plot points right because and I think this is true of comedies in general I've actually on my other show a podcast directed by we've talked about this a lot where it's like comedy is so subjective and it's so about and sometimes it's about the mood that you're in when you sit down to watch it. Uh, or the place you're in in your life. And sometimes, you know, you watch something when you're 15 and it's the funniest thing you've ever seen. And then you watch it now and you're like, that was fucking stupid. What was I what was I thinking in eighth grade? That's horrible. So it's just a little bit amorphous and harder to grasp. Um, and it's one of those movies that if someone were to ask me, like, hey, you know, what's this movie about? Like, I, I would honestly just tell them, like, it doesn't matter what it's about. You just need to watch it. Just have a good time, you know, and I think because it becomes off comes off as that mood type thing and that it's joyous, it's fun, you'll have a great time. I think we have this attitude about movies like that. Well, then it's like it's not a film. It's not cinema. If it, you know, if it doesn't, you know, make you want to pluck out your own, kill yourself, it's not a real movie. It's like, no, there is a place for this. You know, and you can just go into it and have a good time, have a blast with Nick and Nora, uh, because like, you know what? It's really fucking hard to make a movie that fun. Like, this is not this is not something you could just like, oh, we'll just throw it together. Like, this is like, yes, it is complex and there's a lot going on. It is a very well constructed film, too. Like, it actually has an arc for the story like we talked about that slow build earlier this is not something that just happens it doesn't just fall into place like there's a lot of hard work it, there's just as hard work involved in a movie like this as there is a movie like moonlight you know and that is also a very tightly constructed movie and very purposeful 
this is just as purposeful, except it's not out to make you feel the journey of sexuality and how difficult it can be to be queer and black uh, in the modern world. This is about having a good time, solving a mystery, and loving your wife. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's and it's a totally joyous, uh, joyous journey to go on. Um, so but you're right. It does get hard to talk about when you're talking about mood. And I think, you know, a movie like The Third Man is also a little bit hard to talk about because honestly, in that movie, not that much happens. There's like an exciting event and the rest is kind of putting it all together. But it is about that mood, about that like. Ooh, everything feels a little bit heavy and I'm not sure how to deal with this. And and of course, you can pick apart the, you know, the cinematography and how it looks and all that. But really, the point of both of those movies is to give you a feeling and a feeling of joy is no less valuable than a feeling of dread, no matter what the Oscars would have you believe. <laughs> yeah, take that, Academy. Yeah, yeah. fuck you. You'll never listen fuck to you. this, but fuck you, Academy. <laughs> Start watching movies that make me feel good. I don't need to be sad all the time. I'm in a pandemic. I would like some happiness, please. So so this this month of this show has been so great for me because I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, I cannot take another fucking sad movie. Like, we have a good time. Well, exactly. Yeah. So in, in that way, I, I mean, I as we do these kinds of extra episodes and stuff, the question of does this film matter, uh, becomes even more important because, uh, yes, we are highlighting films that have um, outlasted Best Picture. They they have elevated themselves above Best Picture uh, and they've made a, a mark on film history in a lot of ways. And that's part of the reason why it's like, hey, the Best Picture Award doesn't always mean that it's the best film. It doesn't always mean that it is the pinnacle of film history here uh and i think that the thin man really shows that and certainly has addressed my prejudices when coming to these old films um so the question is yeah does the thin man matter is it still important nowadays um for me yes of course it is uh you dave yeah i mean i think like you said it's kind of it's burst like kind of a sideways subgenre, right like mysteries are one thing right i mean there's always been popular films that are mysteries because it's interesting to piece it together right whether you want to talk about um these movies based on agatha christie or you even want to talk about a movie like memento that's a mystery right you don't have all the information and you with the lead character putting it together um but a comedy mystery is like a whole different thing and every time i watch a comedy mystery and you very smartly brought up knives out it's the perfect comparison to this actually um because like he's you know in that in that movie it's definitely taken a lot from agatha christie too but it's way way more tongue-in-cheek way more like ground level funny like the agatha christie like the poirot stuff is very like upper crust funny like kind of poking fun at everyone else and you don't get that from blanc in that movie you get like kind of like okay let's figure out where everything is and but you have these funny moments interspersed so i think it is important because it you know it started a whole genre of film and not only a genre of film but six sequels are you kidding me yeah. like <laughs> six sequels that aren't like i would kill for a movie to do well that wasn't a a property already that was that you knew was going to make money right like you know at this point the mcu and even the dc movies which in general are not as good as far as quality they're still going to make their money they're going to make their cash and it's fine 
and a movie like Knives Out is a great example. Apparently, they're going to make more of those. Like, they're going to have that detective go to different places, which is exactly what the Thin Man did. So it's good to see that kind of circling back around again in, in Hollywood. Yeah, and I certainly think as well, like, as, as I was talking about before, there are so many um, films and series that uh, existed in the early 1920s and 30s uh, that have kind of fallen by the wayside in popular culture that they've kind of been forgotten. And I think that is really important to highlight the value of these kinds of films and show that actually this film does matter and is important because of the, the importance that it had back then. And it hasn't aged poorly at all. There is, it is still absolutely delightful. There is nothing that is uh, cringeworthy about it besides the, the copious drinking, but that is an affectation of the character. Nah, that rules. Um, Fuck you, man. That's cool. <laughs> drink, up. drink up, folks. I know I'm yeah, like a yeah. substance abuse counselor in real life, but drink up. Have a yeah. good time. <laughs> But it's a, it's a delight watching him, like, whenever he downs a drink, it's it's a delight watching Nick's face and being like, there's a certain moment, and it's hard to obviously show this in a podcast, but there's a moment where they go to visit a criminal, and there's a brown liquid on the counter, and he downs it, and just the look on his face is like, it's not what I expected, but hey, it Good worked. <laughs> Bottoms <laughs> up, it'll do. <laughs> Seems very healthy, Nick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that his liver is thanking him. Um, but yeah, it's it's a salient reminder that these kinds of films did exist and they were you know, vital aspects of, of film culture and they were vital aspects of entertaining people in a very dark time. Uh, you know, as we're talking about, this is coming out of the Great Depression heading into World War II. Um, you know, people at this particular point in time didn't know that that was going to happen. But um, just like now... Uh, there's a lot of darkness in the air. It's a lot of, um, you know, lack of positivity, I guess. And uh, I think, as you're saying, this this particular month has really um, highlighted how important these kinds of films are, How highlighted how essential it is to just sit down and feel light, you know, to feel lifted up and elevated. And that's, that's important. And, yeah, it's a real treat. Um so that's the thing, man. Uh, do watch it. Highly recommend it. Um, you know, even though Dave can't remember what happens in the sequels, I, you know, I've seen that he's got a whole bunch of four-star ratings on Letterboxd of those particular films. They're all the same. Uh, they're all good. Yeah, they're all good. <laughs> and that's the thing. It doesn't matter about the plot. It's just about how you feel when you're watching it. And isn't that enough? Um, so yeah, that is the Thin Man, uh, and this has been the year of 1934. Um, next episode, we're going to be looking at, uh, a really uplifting film. I haven't watched it yet, so I, I say that with all the, the What are we watching? I haven't even looked what, what won the next year. What's... Uh, Mutiny what's... on the Bounty, a film mm. which, uh, is highly considered as one of, uh, well, it's a very good Best Picture winner, as far as I understand. Um, it is... One of the perennial Best Picture winners in the sense that there was a uh, wave uh, in 1950s, I think. Um, I do have the information in front of me, but I'm lo- not looking. Uh, a remake was also nominated um, in the 1950s with Marlon Brando. And then later on, uh, not nominated, was one with uh, Michael Caine and Mel Gibson. And, and that's the only one I've seen of it. Uh, and that one was not good, but I hear that this one is lovely. <laughs> that's interesting. It's, it's, that's one of those movies that feels like I should have watched by now. Like, I know the name. I assume it's like... It's on a boat, right? That's 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 where this yeah. takes place, right? That's yeah. all I know about it going in. It's on a yep. boat. That's it. So this will be interesting. That's, yeah, and there's <laughs> mutiny. 
Would you believe there's also a mutiny? Look, spoilers, <laughs> buddy. Come on now. Yeah, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In the title, um, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be discussing that one on the next episode. Uh, curiously, it was nominated uh, alongside uh, a sequel to a film that has already won, The Broadway Melody, the sequel Ooh, to Broadway God Melody. Um, okay, I'm not watching that. I refuse. No, you're not. No um, more Broadway, Broadway Melody of 1936. This is a film that came out in 1935, so they were jumping the gun there. Um, but it, it, uh, it, that's also nominated. God, um, that makes it even worse. That's horrible. <laughs> but I think that I, I should, I, I should also mention as well. This might lift you up a little bit more as well. Um, not just watching Mutiny on a Bounty, but we're also going to be doing an episode on one of my favorite films, uh, and it is a absolute delight of a film that uh, you've likely seen before, and if not, then you're going to enjoy it a lot. And that is Top Hat. We're going to yeah, never on Top Hat. Never well. seen it. The only oh, movie gosh. I think I've seen in the lineup is. Um, uh, is the Informer, uh, which I watched for a podcast directed by, because it's a John Ford movie. So, oh, right. uh, yeah. yeah. So, and he won best director for that one as well. He won so that, that one a lot. It also won best actor. It did. Uh, yeah. And yeah, we'll, I did. We'll, I did we'll get into doing it, that and... but on the next episode. Uh... Yeah, I did consider doing that, but uh, you know, I could not miss up a chance of discussing Top Hat, which is an utter delight of a film. I bet um, it but sucks. Anyway. Can't wait. I bet it's terrible. <laughs> uh, you are going to eat those words, my friend. You will <laughs> just be like, oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> it has beautiful dancing in it. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, on, that's coming up on the show. Uh, where can people find you as well? Uh, uh, your Twitter yeah. handle? You can find me on Twitter at DarnThatDave. Um, and, of course, I have a bunch of other podcasts and writing for places like The Curb and In Session Film. But all of the stuff that I ever do will be on that main Twitter feed. Um, so feel free to follow the other ones. But really, that's the important one to follow, at DarnThatDave. Cool. Uh, and follow us at Awards Don't Matter Pod on Twitter as well, and uh, give us a like on Facebook if you want to. Uh, and you can also follow me over at the Curb AU uh, on both uh, Facebook and on Twitter, where I um, talk about Australian things, uh, which is, yeah, it's great. Uh, anyway, thank you again for listening. Watch The Thin Man. Have, a, have some positivity in your life and some joy uh, in these dark times. That's what you need. Uh, we will see you on the next episode. Women and children first, boys. Say, what is the score, anyway? Oh, so it's you he was after. Hello, sugar. He's dragged me into every gin mill on the block. Yeah, I had him out this morning. Oh, I thought so. Oh, uh, uh, this is Tommy, uh, my wife. How are you? How do you do? Tommy, I don't usually look like this. I've been Christmas shopping. Madam, I'm afraid we shall take the dog out. Oh, it's all right, Joe. It's all right. It's my dog. And, uh, uh, my wife. Well, you might have mentioned me first on the billing. The dog's well-trained. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply.